We're talking carbon emissions on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from beautiful Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. To my left is the incomparable Tyler Crow. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. I, I noticed you didn't say bright and sunny because for, I think, the first time in the last couple of weeks, this has been one of the days where it isn't bright and sunny out in Alexandria. <sighs> oh, well. What are you going to do? Yeah, oh, well. Um, so, uh, big news this week, and uh, we thought we'd change it up for our listeners and not you know, keep, you know, talking about oil. But we'll it's later, so much we swear. fun to oh, talk I know. about. Yeah. Um, but uh, big news regarding the coal industry. Um, been a rough, I don't know, five, ten years for the coal industry. But uh, the Obama administration just came out with some new regulations, um, basically restricting carbon emissions, trying to get, you know, uh, 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 CO2 in the atmosphere, you know, to be dropped. Uh, what do you think? Um, so we're a business and investing show, so I'm going to, try as hard as I can to avoid the political aspects of this. Because if you look at it, there's a lot of political kind of, I guess you could say, positioning going on around this. And so let's just kind of take that off the table and let's just kind of look at what has been going on in the market as of late. Um, Starting in 2005 was when carbon emissions in the United States actually peaked. Um, so we have been falling since We then. have been falling. We've actually decreased total carbon emissions in the United States by 10% since 2005. A large portion of that has been the fact that in that time frame, uh, natural gas has become very cheap thanks to the shale boom in the United States. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, didn't it peak out at like... Thirteen dollars per uh, million units of uh, British thermal units, and then it, it dropped like two about bucks right. in like twenty ten. It sounds about right. Uh, you know, you were just around peak oil time, where uh, you know, at natural gas gas prices were through through the roof, and then you throw in the financial crisis, and right after that, we just you know the the Collapsed. amount of natural gas came yeah. that came online was incredible, and it's kept prices for natural gas incredibly low for a long time, and then when you add the fact that. Coal, coal plants, the things that have been generating power for us for so long, are getting old. I mean, we have a very large component of our coal generating capacity in the United States is more than 50 years old. And as much as we'd like to think we can keep using so, that stuff, it's, it's old and it needs to get replaced. A lot of my energy is coming from coal plants that were built in the JFK administration? Some some of them in the Eisenhower (laughs) administration, actually. I've seen some, you know, EPA does a list of all power plants in the United States, and we have power plants that are still working in the United States that were built in the 1950s. So we're talking the Eisenhower-Korean War. I like Ike and coal power. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So when you look at that, these things are going to get replaced. They just have to. It's it's not like we're a forced mandate where we have to, you know, get rid of these coal plants. They're just dying. They're breaking. It's getting old. And if you look at the options that utility companies have today, it just – from an economical standpoint, we're not even talking about regulations to a certain degree. I understand there are some implications. People are looking at this. Oh, we could get taxed on carbon or something like that or start to see these sort of like regulations. But a few years ago, that wasn't really the case. They were still looking at it from an economic standpoint and saying, wow, it's a lot cheaper for me to, instead of building a new coal plant, uh, why don't I build a either a wind or a gas plant? Well, not only – yeah, and I was about to say um – 
uh, everybody knows uh, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway is obviously an insurance conglomerate, and that's how it got as big as it did. But um, an increasingly large percentage of Berkshire's business has been as a regula- regulated utility. And um, you know, even ten years ago, and there were some tax subsidies in there. But um, I mean, Buffett's got the biggest wind farm in Iowa, as I recall, and he started touching to solar and all this stuff. And he's not a dumb man; like he's doing this for a reason, yeah. and it's economics. And one thing I would I really implore anybody who is invested in energy utilities, anything like that, I would implore you to go look at uh, go on a, for a Google search and look up the Lazard Levelized Cost of Energy report. It's a report put out by the investment firm or a research firm, Lazard. Lazard. Frayers, yeah. Yep, and it basically goes over the cost per megawatt that it takes to install and operate a new um, energy generating facility. It's, it covers everything, nuclear, coal, gas, wind, solar. And if you look at the ones that are available today. Wait, so can I guess what's most efficient? Go oh, ahead. Man. I'm actually going to go with natural gas, You're just because natural, natural gas. gas is 278 per million British thermal units, I believe. The, high, the lowest Cheapest, is, yeah. on the low end of the range, is wind. Wow. That factors in, though, some tax subsidies, it I does. would assume. It does. Okay. There's a little bit there. So that disclaimer there. on wind, uh, a cost per megawatt, um, megawatt hour, excuse me, of operations and construction for wind is you're making You're making two Boone Pickens really hap- happy oh, yeah, right now. I'm that, sure. that Pickens plan back in... <laughs> it's $37 per megawatt hour for wind. Uh, the lowest that solar has, and this is using utility scale, is about $72. Okay. Um, the lowest ga- uh, natural gas, which is gas combined cycle, uh, that is sixty one dollars. Good. Okay. And the lowest f- for coal is sixty six. However, the range for coal is immense. It can go anywhere from sixty six to one hundred and fifty one dollars, depending on coal sourcing uh, and some anything related to um, transportation costs right. and some of the new. Technologies they have to put in for carbon capture and things like right. that. Right. Wow. So I was wrong, but I wasn't wrong because you were pretty close. I was pretty, pretty darn close. close. I'm pretty happy. Um, and that could easily change too if natural gas, you know, goes up a little bit. But yeah. anyway, um, yeah. What was that? That Pickens plan. It was like his point was like the the stretch from Montana all the way down to. Oklahoma, Panhandle of Texas. It was like the Saudi Arabia of wind. Just that huge part of the United States. I mean, it is an option. If you look at the, I believe it's the NOAA or the EPA, not the EPA, excuse me, but uh, NOAA does some reports on average wind speeds across the United States. And if you look from across the Great Plains, there is just this immense amount of potential in the the average wind speed, which makes it an attractive option. Um, So when I look at this from an investor standpoint, I don't really see it changing the investment thesis that I had had two or three years ago. Um, a lot of the coal companies that we've been seeing are have been in financial straits for quite a while, and it's not just because of regulations. You know, they have a lot of legacy cost issues. Um, debt was extremely high because they tried to consolidate at the absolute peak of the market. You look at um, Alpha Natural Resources that just filed for bankruptcy right around 2011 at the highest in commodity prices. The they tried to mer- do a $7.3 billion acquisition, and that eventually caught up with them. And so right. it's been very difficult for them. Uh, utility companies, they've been making these decisions for years. 
I, I don't see, considering those trends, watching what businesses have been doing as of late, I don't really see a huge tangible change that I would make to my investment thesis based on what these regulations have been doing. Got it. Well, before we move on, I wanted to make our listeners aware of a very special offer to all, in all industry-focused listeners. If you have found this discussion informative and you're looking for more foolish stock ideas, Stock Advisor may be the service for you. It is our flagship newsletter, started more than 10 years ago by Motley Fool co-founders Tom and David Gardner. We are offering the lowest price out there for all of our industry-focused listeners. It is $129 for a two-year subscription to Stock Advisor. You'll get two stock recommendations every single month with insight from our team of analysts. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this deal. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And now we are playing Mailbag with Mr. Tyler Crow here. And this is where we have uh, loyal industry focused listeners write in to all uh, five of them. All five of them. Yeah. We, no, we put we, them on a rotating schedule. Yeah. Um, and uh, actually, a lot of those uh, people that we have write in, they have names of our coworkers. We don't know why. What a, what a coincidence. But um, no, this one's real, people. We're not joking. It's right. a real one. Uh, so Rob asks, um, Caterpillar recently released their quarterly report, and in it they announced that they are going to buy back some of their shares. Do you think this was a good call considering the slump they are currently in? What are the reasons companies buy back their shares? Thanks for the input, and I hope to hear back soon. Rob. Well, um... Caterpillar, one of the things that when you look at industrial manufacturers or equipment manufacturers like a, a Caterpillar today, they are in a rough time or a rough patch now, not because of the business itself, but more of the kind of economic macroeconomic macroeconomic yeah, conditions that are, that are out that of their seen. control. Uh, you know, you have mining and energy companies scaling back. Uh, capital expenditures at wild paces over the past couple – well, uh, mining certainly over the past couple of years and then now with oil uh, dropping off very, very quickly as of late. And it, it has obviously affected revenue. It has affected the bottom line. And Caterpillar itself has been trying its best to manage the situation as best as can. It's it uh, Over the past year, it's reduced its headcount by 4,000. Uh, employees trying to cut costs. They and one of the things that is encouraging uh, for this share buyback program for them is the fact that number one, the stock is pretty cheap in comparison to um, historical records. It's right now trading at about thirteen times earnings, which is you know very for, reasonable. It, a All very reasonable better. price when you're looking at doing a stock buyback. And if you look at the cash generations uh, situation, at least certainly in this past quarter, they. They did more than enough to cover. They were their, free cash flow positive. Very and free cash flow yeah. positive. Uh, more than enough to cover their. I think it was two billion dollars in operational cash flow, about six hundred million in expenditures on top of their dividend. So there's there's enough free cash kind of sitting around. There's a little right. bit on the books, and management is just looking at it now and saying we can take an opportunity here to reduce our share count and kind of give a little bit of value back to shareholders and kind of. Maybe give a little bump to share prices, showing people, hey, price, we have yeah. confidence in our business right now that we think there is great value in our stock, and we're going to try to create value for our shareholders by doing so. Yeah, I was um, immensely happy when I read that Caterpillar was doing this, because Caterpillar, like any other company on God's green earth, has three options of what to do with money. They can pay a dividend, they can invest in operations, or they can buy back stock. That is it. Um 
they are currently peeling back on the operations. That's of course out. Um, you know, China doesn't need as many machines. We don't. We're not going for much coal. So there's that. Um, they could pay a dividend, but again, we're all subject to the the fun dividend tax rates and all that stuff. So what's the other option when your stock is down? Which is you know buying back stock, and they're doing that at an awesome time. Um, you know, in the last six years since uh, the Great Recession and all that, when you know the Dow. Give a high five to sixty eight hundred, I think, and then came back up and all that. Um, you know, over the last five six years, all these companies have been minting money and they're buying back shares at all time highs six years into a bull market. I'm like, where were you guys six years ago when your stock was at all time lows? Like, why weren't you buying it back then? Um, I remember a year ago we were talking about Disney's buyback; they had upped it and all this stuff. Disney was at an all time high. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And uh, anytime I see a company, uh, you know, and I, I don't, I don't want to plug uh, another uh, energy company, but Core Labs, they're buying back stock like crazy. They're, you know, getting beat up with oil prices and everything. Anytime I see a great business, which Caterpillar is a great business, they're possibly the world's premier construction machinery company. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it's them and South Korea, basically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I. You, Just, so there's some John Deere fans out there. That there's a few little... in there. I'm sorry, John Deere fans. Um, but uh, it's. I'm glad that they're doing this and not just holding on to the money out of fear. And then I would have railed, like, very, very disappointed had, you know, business turned around in one or two years and then they issued a buyback. That yeah. would have been, like, just absurd capital allocation. Here, one of the things that. Um, is critical when it comes to share buybacks. You know, you see companies that do it at a very regular basis, like an ExxonMobil. They just, they're like, we're just going to do this. And one of the th- questions I think you raised there was, you know, why not just do it as a dividend instead? And when it comes to to share buybacks, you can just be a little bit more opportunistic with right. your buyback. You know, when times are are not as great, you may be a little strapped for cash. You don't feel as obligated to buy back stock. Where you know, like you said, there's some opportunity loss when you have really low share prices. But at the same time, when you cut a dividend, there is a market reaction and a a general thought around your company that things oh, are, are getting really, yeah, really in trouble. And we we in the United States, as American investors, we really like to see that constant dividend every quarter. Um, I know some other companies uh, in Europe like to do it as a variable rate of like 25% of net income. A lot of European companies do it just one big one every year, yeah. which is weird. Anyway. <laughs> so, in, in the United States, we have that expectation that dividends will be rock solid and they will grow. And if you were to cut that, that would look infinitely you know, even worse. So, you, know, you need to manage that. How high can I keep my dividend that right. it will be? be either maintained or grown at a certain rate. And then if I get a little extra to play with at the margins, uh, share buyback is a great opportunity. The only thing that I'm really hesitant about when it comes to share repurchases with a company is it has to, has to, has to actually reduce total shares outstanding. That is the only way that share buybacks actually deliver value to an investor over the long term. You don't like it when tech companies buy back the shares that get issued because the stock option grants all the time? Oh, yeah. Let's, I'm going to buy back a ton of shares, and I'm just going to give them back to my employees in some sort of compensation package. Anyways, that's that's the issue at hand is you know you don't want to just kind of you know take something from shareholders and then just give it back to your employees with you know huge stock compensations or your executives or whatever. The point of the share buyback and the reason that it creates value is because it 
increases the earnings per share um, for everybody involved. It increases basically your slice of the pie in that business. Um, another benefit, if it also is a dividend payer, it allows the company to, re- you know, it could either reduce it its total dividend yeah. payment. It does save costs, but at the same time, they can, you know, they could keep that dividend payment constant and slowly bump the per share dividend because of the reduced share count. Those are the ways that, you know, reduced shares can increase value for a company long term. And if, as long as the share count is going down, that is the encouraging sign more than right. anything else. Awesome. Very good. Well, uh, thanks again for writing in, Rob. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. It would be nice to have like a Every day, a one mailbag question, like as, uh, as a like a dedicated we, segment. We know you're out there, five people. Please Just write us send questions. Them all in all five. We'll do you on a rotation. In, in fact, I you know we were talking about we'd love to do a mailbag show, a whole show, like That'd be great. Just Tons of questions. Yeah. Or this oil stock, da da da. da. Anyway, um, before we leave, I did want to get your thoughts on uh, uh, energy stocks on your radar because that sector's been so you know beaten up. It's kind of like okay, is it time to go shopping yet? Like, what are we doing? This is the Am I crazy? Kind of moment. I've been watching um, this one energy stock for a while. It's at Denberry Resources, stock ticker DNR. They're the um, CO2 guys. They right? are a specialist in enhanced oil recovery using CO2. Basically, they inject CO2 into old, mature wells, basically places we, you know, drilled and produced oil 20, 30 years ago. And we're going back and saying, hey, we can get this much more out of Have this. Have they ever injected uh, CO2 into Drake's well there in uh, Pennsylvania? I the do first not oil believe well so. The, the very I'm, first I'm one? I'm joking. It's fine. I don't think so. It would be interesting to <laughs> see funny, if there was yeah. anything it's there. Still, just as a fun test. I visited it with my friend on a road trip like I don't know, 10 years ago, and it still has. It still produces like 10 barrels a year or something. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, But as a, as Getting back to Denbury itself, you know, one of the things that was really encouraging, despite its massive sell-off after um, earnings report yesterday, uh, it it has slashed its capital budget. It has that little bit more flexibility to do so because the decline on enhanced oil recovery wells is much lower, so it can kind of scale back a lot more and not see the production declines like we've seen with other companies. Uh, also. It, one of the things that was really encouraging is they actually brought in enough operational cash flow to cover both their capital expenditures and their dividend. And if you so they're look, still paying one. They're I still mean, paying a dividend. And at current yield, it's 9%, which would scare a lot of people. But when I look at this company, they've got pretty strong hedging protection out for the next couple of years. So it can weather a storm for quite a while. It has a very clear plan of what it wants to do in terms of uh, production growth because they have to plan it years in advance with these CO2 um, uh, operations. And when I look at this, debt is they haven't taken on the debt levels that a lot of some of these other leveraged uh, you know independent offhand, oil um, what their debt to assets is at all? I believe debt to capital is somewhere in the low 30s. That's so that's much, much better than we've seen yeah, with a lot of companies. Because even some of, of the better ones are in the high 40s. So that's yeah. actually pretty respectable. So, you know, reasonable debt profile they can certainly manage it with you know the EBITDA so when I look at this company there's like this I, I keep looking at it and going what am I missing and I'm gonna probably look at this thing a little bit more and 
but based on what I've seen so far, I'm 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 kind of befuddled as to why the market it has treated it Everybody's so poorly. Everybody's scared right now. Yeah, I guess know? so. Um, I did want to mention before we leave, you really turned me on to uh, the pipelines because they're kind of the last bastion of uh, owning a monopoly in America. You know, it's uh, we're on to Sean's pick here, by the way. Everybody. Sorry, everybody. Sean's um, pick for the week. Um, yeah, it's just you know they uh, have got that five and a half percent yield. They've sold off from forty down to twenty seven. Who's 27. they? By the way, you en- said pipelines. enterprise enterprise products partners. There Sorry. we go. Um, you're a bad host. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a good host. That's why they you ask me the questions. Yeah. Like we reverse the roles. I don't know what to do. It's fine. Oh well. Um, but um, yeah, as I uh, as I recall, they have the largest um, natural gas liquids pipeline system in the United States. They still ship the crew. They still ship uh, natural gas. And uh, they're regulated. I mean, their profit margins are pretty much guaranteed by the regulars, and it just seems silly that this thing would sell off like it has. So, Can't argue with that that much. Amen. Well, as always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Tyler Crow, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!